0: Inspired.com presents The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. And here is your host,
1: David Barr Kirtley. Hello, and welcome to a very special episode 200 of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. Some of our longtime listeners may remember that back in episode 100, our friends Matt Lundin interviewed John Joseph Adams and me about how we got started doing this podcast. So I wanted to do something special like that for episode 200. So today on the show, John and I will be hanging out with three of our favorite Geek's Guide to the Galaxy listeners. We'll be learning more about them, hearing some of their thoughts on science fiction and podcasting, and just generally celebrating the fact that Geek's Guide to the Galaxy has somehow survived for 200 episodes. And so today we're joined by listeners Zach Chapman, Nicolette Stewart, and Bruno Anquier. And we'll start off with Zach. So Zach, last year you were a finalist in the Writers of the Future contest. And in your acceptance speech, you said, I'd like to thank a podcast, Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. If it weren't for them, I probably wouldn't be writing science fiction because they got me back into it. So just tell us a bit about that journey of how you got interested in writing science fiction and what role the podcast played with that.
0: So I uh, how I got into the podcast is I was a recent grad and I just got married and I just got a full time job Uh. Creating state standardized tests, and I didn't have. It was very not labor intensive on on my brain, and so uh, somehow I got a hold of Wastelands by JJA, and I loved all the stories in it, and so did some research and found out that um, he was on a podcast. And then listen to the podcast and it was all downhill from there. Uh, I listened to like the first the, or the most recent uh, two or three. And that was maybe at like episode episode 60 or something. And then I went back and just listened to one through 50 or one through 60. Listen to all of them. And I think it really gets your mind like in the same space, like creative space of other content creators and authors. And that really was a huge benefit. Uh, I was like, I want to be like these guys. I want to write like them and create uh, great content like them. Um, but the people that you were interviewing and also Dave, I had started listening to and reading some of your short stories as well at that time. And so I became like a pretty big fan right off the bat, like within two weeks.
1: Wow. Wow. I don't hear that very often. (laughs) (laughs) That's cool. So, So, so Zach, were you like, how big of a science fiction fan were you when you discovered the podcast? Uh, I had been kind of a
0: off and on, um, the year prior, or I guess a co- like two years prior, I started reading sci fi towards the end of college. Um, mainly had been into horror and fantasy, but then science fiction kind of, um, s- took a step above the other genres because I think you can, um, be more relevant and talk about now more with science fiction so
2: yeah so were you uh were you always into short stories or uh when you picked up wastelands was that sort of uh just because of the subject matter and then and then you became more of a fan of uh short stories because uh you know that led you to other discoveries and we talked about on the show and i mean because you obviously you ended up writing some short fiction with uh for Rose the future i assume so
0: right i hadn't been into short stories uh, mainly novels. And when I was growing up, uh, I had ADD and dyslexia and was not very good at reading. So I most of the reading I did growing up was in video games because I grew up at a time where they're like, now it's all voice acted. But when I was a kid, I had to read everything and they were telling stories. And that got me into, I guess, narrative. And then um, I guess I think it was right at the end of high school. I think it came out in 2008, but someone, my first experience with you, John, was um, the Living Dead, uh, the zombie uh, anthology. And I had read a few stories in there, um, but mainly I had just been reading novels. And then when I started that job where I was... I was literally working for... Have you seen Stand and Deliver? No. With Edward James, almost. mm I was working for the main bad guys in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> They're, like, creating state-standardized tests, and uh, it was... I, I started listening to Nightmare and um, Lightspeed and Fantasy, Uh and then I st- I started reading a lot more as well, um, but mainly before that I had it had just been a uh, longer form fiction and mainly like the famous you know Stephen King and Neil Neil Gaiman, um, but from those anthologies I split off into just I mean it was just a whole lot of research and reading and having fun with um discovering new
1: authors. So so is it the case, Zach, that listening to the podcast, you, you hadn't written any short stories before that. That's kind of got sparked your interest in it altogether? I had taken some creative writing courses.
0: Uh so I had written some nonfiction stuff. Uh, I, had, I hadn't written any serious sci-fi. I had attempted a novel like when I was in high school. Um, But again, I hadn't been been reading enough. Um, So I think, yeah, it was really with the podcast that I started branching out into shorter fiction and then reading shorter fiction and then um, writing shorter fiction. And the first serious short story that I wrote um, was kind of a... I, I did a flash and then i did a kind of like a proof of concept and then i did the between screens was the second one and i tried to sell it for probably 2 years and i was um i guess i i just went to the sifwa guidelines to join and i just went down the row and writers of the future was the last one and i had heard like you know, dubious, you know, they're run by Scientologists. And so I was like, uh, I'll just wait for that to be last. And yeah. And I ended up, uh, getting in last year's anthology with that story.
1: Yeah, that's cool. So, yeah. So, I mean, congratulations on being a finalist in Writers of the Future, which is, I mean, it's a totally legit contest, even if it is funded by Scientology, but you know, the judges are all, you know, real authors. And, you know, I mean, it is it's it is a real accomplishment.
0: Yeah, they're uh, very nice people. And I have nothing but really good things to say about everyone who runs the contest and then a- also the judges. I mean, they're really great people. And if you do get into the contest, they, you know, they fly you out and they, they do a bunch of um, workshopping with you very intensive there's only like 12 other people so um yeah a lot of good things to say about those guys mm. and then kind of what have you been up to since then uh i've been working on a couple things um i recently sold an option to uh talisman films and it's a speculative uh tv series is what they want to Option it into, and I've been working with them, but I
2: can't give out details
0: more than that.
2: Um, is this is this an option on your short story from Writers of the Future?
0: No, it's not. Oh, something else. Yes, and and then I have a story coming out in Futuristica, and then I'm working on a uh, pro rates anthology and. Half of them are reprints and half of them are news stories. And uh, my dad's also, we're splitting it 50, 50 on payment, uh, paying the authors. Uh, And I've got reprints from uh, Robert Silverberg and Sean Williams. And then I got a new story from Martin L. Shoemaker and he's Nebula, uh, Nebula nominated this year for today. I am Paul, which is like, a legit story uh you can listen to it for free on clark's world i think
2: Mm
1: -hmm. well that sounds great and i want to get nicolette in here so nicolette so back in 2013 you posted on your blog went to be the coolest thing ever to get a call from geek sky to the galaxy to be one of the consulting geeks on their oh so delicious podcast yes oh my god yes so would you say now that all your dreams have come true (laughs)
3: <laughs> all of my dreams have come true i can die now <laughs> thank you so much david
1: <laughs> well so so tell us a little bit about just why were you interested in appearing on the podcast
3: oh well i just i love it and i like to talk too so i was always like oh maybe someday i can go on that would be awesome because yeah i when i started listening i guess like four years ago ish uh i just you know like listened to everything in in a binge of a couple months and just really really enjoy
1: what you guys have been doing here so yeah all right cool and so then nicolette also blogs about lots of things that aren't geeks Mm guide to the galaxy over at bookpunks.com so everyone go check that out and then i want to get bruno in here as well so bruno is our number one uh, crowdfunder except for my mom i always have to every time i mention that bruno's our number one Crowdfunder. My mom's always like, "No, actually, it's me." So, my like, <laughs> mom. But, but aside from my mom, Bruno's our number one crowdfunder.
4: I I bow to your mom, of course. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but so, so Bruno, could you just? I'm just curious. Like, why did you want to be such a big supporter of the podcast? Like, what was it about it that that made you want to do that?
4: Huh. um First of all, I didn't think at the time that it was such a big deal, <laughs> to tell you the <laughs> truth. Um, I was really fascinated by the way you were interviewing, well, first of all, by the, the the amazing authors that you had on your podcast, even though, as everybody knows, a couple of them are missing, right? Neil Gaiman, and Stephen <laughs> King. <but> we're working <laughs> the, on it. The, the Holy <laughs> Trinity or more. Um, <laughs> but I was really, really fascinated to see that, uh, I think I told you that I started uh, listening, I think, because of your interview with China Mieville. Mm whom I had never read at the time I was like turning around thinking that he might be a very difficult author Uh, as you probably can hear I'm not English speaking I'm not an English speaker I'm I'm French Um, and I've been reading in English for a long time now but you know sometimes it takes a toll on you and I was thinking that your name might be like this so it was very interesting to hear him talking about his book um and I was fascinated by, by his intelligence and by the way you were interviewing him, which was basically letting him, um, say what he had to say until the end. Because too often I think interviewers have a tendency to, to cut, uh, the people they interview and not let them go through the whole, their whole process. Um. And then I looked back on the backlog and I was (laughs) even more amazed. So I thought, oh my God, I want more. I need more. (laughs) Let them go on.
1: I mean, so even, you know, um, being French, you had this uh, apparently like really um, extensive exposure to English language fantasy and science fiction. Yep, I did. Like, How did that come about?
4: I think it came from my will to read uh, tolkien in his own language at the beginning probably mm-hmm. yeah I said because i I've, i i'd read in french uh, the lord of the ring like 10 or 15 times uh when i when i reached 20 years and uh, then i thought okay now i want to read the whole the real stuff mm-hmm. um because there are different things in tolkien there is a poetry uh, I know that you don't, you guys don't like Tom Bombadilla. I, I love, I love the character. I love this passage. I love it. I find it very, well, I haven't read it, <laughs> read it in a while, I must admit. But, uh, I, I think that there is a poetry in this book. It's like a pose. Um, and that was something that I wanted to experience.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know if, if, so if you've read Lord of the Rings in French 10 or 15 times and then you read it in English, are there, other differences other than just the rhythm of the language? Like, did they change anything for the French translation?
4: Not that I'm aware of, no. No, I couldn't say. In the story, um, nothing, really. It's... You know what? I'm sorry
3: to jump in, but what's the giant spider's name? Because they changed it in German, and it pisses me off so much that I have <laughs> to know if they kept it. Is, it, is her name Sheila in French, or did they change it? Oh,
4: oh wow. Well, I, I really can't tell you. I don't oh, remember no. at all. It's been <laughs> it's been twenty eight years. <laughs> okay, okay, sorry.
1: <laughs> Wait, so what is it in German?
4: Uh, Punkte.
3: I don't. Don't ask me why they changed it because uh, I hate when they change names. But I mean, Schubert, it's not why.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's really weird. Yeah.
2: yeah, you know, it's it's actually interesting some of the things that get changed uh, in in different languages sometimes when they translate things like um with me being a short story editor, one of the things I encounter is sometimes the foreign publisher wants to like not include certain stories, like one story or another in in the translated edition because like they feel like, "Oh, well, our our audience isn't going to understand this or or this is not going to resonate with them." And um I always find it disappointing and I always fight back against that, um, whenever that happens because it's like, well, the, the way they're going to get, uh, you know, exposed to it is to, you know, put it into an anthology like this where, you know, they can sample it. It's like not a whole novel on this subject or whatever. Um, and, uh, like, like just let them try to experience this, uh, culture that they're, that they maybe don't fully understand you know because maybe the story is very like a very american type story and if you don't live in america and you don't speak english maybe maybe it's harder to understand it or something but i mean i think that's just a challenge that uh i wish more publishers would be willing to to embark on and trust the audience uh will enjoy that discovery um i mean that's that's not quite the same thing as just changing a name in a book for no reason but um (laughs) you know it is a curious artifact of translations that uh comes up now and
3: then Definitely. I mean, cult- tra- translating culture is a whole other mm-hmm. can of worms. But why would you? Cha- Frodo is not Frodo <laughs> Baggins in the German version. He's—they translated his last name to mean "little bag"
4: in ah. So
3: it's yeah, Frodo it And like, why? <laughs> Come on. <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah. I have an—I have uh, an answer to you. Actually, it's—they uh, changed the name. They did. It used to be Arachna. Which would make sense, kind of, and now it's mm-hmm. Arrhenia, which okay. which is a, a like a shortened version of spider, mm. which doesn't have any meaning per se. But uh... yeah, so they changed yeah, it. <laughs> and Bilbo Baggins has a, has a different name also, which I don't remember. <laughs> okay. <laughs>
1: Well, I mean, so, so Bruno, did you, I mean, from talking to you, I know that in addition to France, you've also lived in Spain and Turkey and all over the place. Have you encountered a lot of other fantasy and science fiction fans in your life?
4: Um, well, they come and go, like everything in life, but yeah, of course, <laughs> most of, most of the things I've read, um, well, my first source when i was uh when i was younger was mainly a, a bookshop that a big uh, bookshop in paris called Lafnac, fnac where you had a, a special section of course for sci-fi and and uh the people working there were very helpful at the time and helped me discover like zelazny and people like that whom i didn't know or even Philip k dick um but apart from that yeah most of the people most of the books i've read were from people who told me oh you have to know that but it's hardly ever big fans. Like, I I must say, at this point in my life, 99.9% of what I read in terms of literature is sci-fi or fantasy and mainly sci-fi. Um, I don't think I know any, anybody else like me <laughs> at this point in my life, at least.
1: I mean, are you involved with, do you follow any other websites or uh, podcasts or anything about science fiction? Or is it just all Geek's
4: Guide to the Galaxy? No, of course, it's all about you. <laughs> 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 what else do you need? Come on. <laughs> okay, that's, no, that's no. a good, I like that answer. Yeah, I know you like that answer. Um, there's a little bit on Ionine also, I must say, from time to time. It's mainly about uh, comics, which I'm not a big reader of. But... Um, they can give you hints of things to read also on i o nine,
2: oh, I was just gonna say uh, speaking of comics um that I just re- it' just reminded me because also I have this uh, silver surfer poster just right in my office here, and so it's like it's sort of in the periphery of my vision, but um uh i don't know if you guys saw the eisner uh, uh nominations for this year were released and so uh just uh like last week or something and so i noticed that silver surfer was on there and i was like i was surprised because it's like oh i mean i love silver surfer it was it was like it was sort of one of my gateway drugs into science fiction um oh. but uh but i was pleased to see like oh hey there's like a good run of silver surfer happening i should go try to ca- catch up with it um but, uh, but that's, uh, that's just sort of a, a way of saying I, I was, d- I'm doing this book that's coming out next year, uh, with Saga, and I, I shouldn't say what it is yet because it hasn't been formally announced, but, um, it's very influenced by Silver Surfer and the other sort of cosmic, uh, sort of, uh, cosmic storylines of the Marvel universe. And um, so I uh, I actually, uh, so I ended up I, I dedicated the book to some of the creators that had worked on those titles uh, back in the day that that, that were important to me. Um, and so I was telling my wife about this and it was so funny because it was like I didn't really put all of this um, sort of emotion into it when I did it. I was like, oh, this, this, I think this would be cool to do because like acknowledge these people who helped shape my, uh, you know, sort of my brain a little bit. Um, and then so when I was telling my wife about it though like i just got all emotional about it and i was like i couldn't even get through the (laughs) sentence as i was saying it um and uh uh but uh yeah it was just it was just kind of a really cool experience to have like done it and then like realize like how much it actually meant to me to be doing it
4: can you is your wife in in the same does she have the same background as you is she a geek or so (laughs)
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, actually, she was our first, uh, our first uh, Geeks Guide to the Galaxy pod turn. Um, you know, uh, uh we uh, that's actually one of the ways that we got together. Um, uh, like she and I got together is because she uh, we look we were uh, Dave and I were looking for a volunteer to come on the show and help us do the the uh, uh, create the show notes and such. And uh, we stopped doing that at some point, but at the beginning we were doing show notes. Um, and uh, so she volunteered. Uh, I had met her at the World Fantasy Convention uh, prior to that. And, um, but then we hadn't really stayed in touch. I just like met her at a, at the bar uh, one night, um, at the convention. And, um, and then, uh, so she, uh, when, when we put out the call for the, for the interns, uh, she volunteered. And so she started working with, with us there. And then, um, and then I was, uh, uh, founding Lightspeed around that time. And so, um, since she was so enthusiastic and so, you know, good at doing everything on Geek's Guide, I asked her, well, Hey, would you be interested in helping with Lightspeed? And so things sort of. Things sort of snowballed from there. And, um, you know, so she, you know, we started talking a lot more and, and our, you know, relationship sort of formed from there. Um, But uh, but yeah, I mean, and then and, like, she actually has uh, more, more um, uh, probably more of a comic book background than me. I mean, like, you know, I, I certainly read um, uh, tons of comics when I was young. But I mean, like she was like super, super into them and like actually wanted to write comics. And, and now she actually is writing and editing comics. Uh, she's working for a a small press called Chimera Press. Um, and that's just new. That just started, uh, fairly recently. Well, and, and Christy was also the first guest geek that
1: we ever had on oh, yeah. got to the Galaxy. Right. Back in episode 42, we wanted to talk about Douglas Adams yeah. and she's a big Douglas Adams fan. And that's so perfect. that was the first time it wasn't just John yeah. and me talking.
2: Oh my God. Is she a big Douglas Adams fan? Like, goodness. <laughs> like, okay. So like I read, I read those books when I was like, you know, 10 or 11, something like that. And I, like, I remember like the summer I read those and it was like, it was like important to me, you know, but, um. Cause I was like, I was going sort of through a tough time. Like, you know, I had a stepfather who was a jerk. And so I was like punished all the time and everything. And so like, like those books were important to me. Cause like, they helped me get through that. Um, But even, even with that, like being in my history, it's like, you've never met somebody who knows Douglas Adams, like Christie. Like, I mean, she quotes <laughs> him all the time. She drops these references and I look, I look at her blankly and she's like, well, oh, from Hitchhiker's <laughs> Guide to the Galaxy. And I just feel like such a <laughs> fake geek all the time. She's like, <laughs> I mean, she drops all these references and I don't know what she's talking about. But, like, you know, she knows it inside and
3: out,
4: so. <laughs> I feel for you. Actually, John, I, I'd forgotten one one important, I don't know if it's a source of sci-fi information, but I, I listen also to Lightspeed Podcasts. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's
3: good to
2: hear.
4: Regularly. Yeah, like, yeah good. all the time.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, awesome. Well, everyone else should do that, too, if you like Geek Sky. Yeah. That is an excellent source of science fiction. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> um... Okay, Zach, I had one other thing I wanted to ask you about because I was talking to my friend Matt Lunton recently and he said that he actually ran into you (laughs) in uh, Texas. Uh, Could you tell us that story? Yeah. So I was
0: sitting eating a pizza uh, outside at a restaurant during um, Texas Book Festival and my wife is a librarian and so she was working at the festival and she had just gotten off and I had seen his picture from him being on the podcast and I had followed him on Twitter and I was like, I think that's Matt London. And he (laughs) had a tag on and as he walked by, I saw it and I was like, Hey, uh, you're Matt London. Uh, I, you know, and we kind of, I kind of introduced myself to him probably pretty awkwardly. (laughs) And then, um, he had a panel and I watched, uh, listen to the panel and, um, had, I think, the guy who did Holes as well, is that Louis Laurie? Yeah, Louis and Sakara, he was on it. it? it I, I think so. Um, it was a great panel, and then uh, I talked to him for a little bit on the way to his book signing, kind of buzzed around. I didn't want to be too annoying, <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, bought his book, and, and he signed it, so...
1: Hmm. Yeah, no, you definitely weren't too annoying. I mean, that really made his day. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, he's like, "Wow, somebody came up and and recognized me in public." I was like, "What the? Hell? Who who are you?" Because <laughs> you know, you don't get a lot of recognition. You know, you don't get recognized in public a lot as a as a science fiction author slash podcaster. <laughs> Although it's funny, actually, uh, you know, I went to my cousin's wedding last year, and there was a guy there who would who'd listen to the podcast. He's like, "Oh my god, I know who you are," <laughs> and. That was like, oh, I think, only about the second or third time someone has like someone who I had no connection with just recognized me
2: randomly like that. Oh, okay. I thought you were gonna say it was your cousin that recognized you. It's like, <laughs> oh, right, you <laughs> you're
1: internet famous. Your cousin <laughs> recognizes you. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I'm known to about ninety percent
2: of my family. So,
3: uh... <laughs> Yeah,
2: it's, it's funny, like, I, I was so amazed by the story of Zach running into Matt London because it's like, I mean, like, it, it does, see, it does seem like so implausible to happen. Like, I mean, unless like you reach a certain level of fame, and it's like, um, uh, like, I mean, like, I, you know, I have, I have, like, you know, a couple dozen books out at this point, and, uh, uh, and, and, you know, my pictures, uh, pretty common online and stuff was like, I mean, I can't, I can't imagine anybody actually recognize me. And this was like, even when I was like living in New Jersey and so I was like in, in New York city very frequently, I mean, like I, I, I would be on the subway and I'd see people reading. I just, I'd just be excited to see people reading a genre book let alone, And I had, I had no hope that I would ever see somebody reading one of my books. Um, mm-hmm. although I did always get very excited when somebody else reported to me that they saw somebody reading one of my books on, on like, the subway or something. Um. <laughs> But just like to have somebody like recognize you as you were like walking by or something like that would freak me out. I think. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, it's funny because because you know, my girlfriend Stephanie came with me to my cousin's wedding, and so there's there's this guy there who recognized me, and then later when I wasn't around, he was talking to Stephanie, and he said, "Did you know how, how famous Dave was when you met him?" <laughs> and so I thought that was nice. <laughs> well, well, so. How about Nicolette? Have you ever, like, met any authors in person or gone to any conventions or workshops or anything like that?
3: Uh, yeah, my first convention was World Fantasy in Brighton in 2015, mm. I guess so. So, you know, lots of them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you go and, and hang out. I remember, Like, one of my favorite pictures that I have on my bookshelf is me and Patrick Rothfuss is ah. looking epic. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> 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 um, so. Yeah, I, I guess I've encountered many of the usual suspects at, at that. I went to the, um, the loan con, uh, what was, oh god, was that two years ago already? It feels like <laughs> not that long ago, but, um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to Helsinki as well.
1: And how about Bruno? Have you met any, any, uh, fantasy or science fiction authors face to face or gone to any conventions or fan clubs or anything
4: like that? No, full disclosure. I used to work in editing when I was 25, something like that. And I had to go to book fairs and stuff like that where mm. we were representing our are very interesting books. (laughs) 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 Sorry, it was mainly adaptations for children of uh, something like encyclopedias and stuff like that. It was pretty boring, actually. Uh, And I I kept very, very bad memories (laughs) of those events. So (laughs) I was never... It's not something that appeals to me, I must tell you.
1: Uh, Why did you have bad memories
4: of those events? Because they were very boring. Uh For me, I mean... Yeah, and it was guess, not yeah. sci-fi. I mean, mm-hmm. so, but I, I, I kind of associated it together. I guess. Um, I'm not even sure that there's anything like this in Paris. <laughs> to tell you the truth, do you know of anything well, like never,
2: this? Well, well, you've never been to a party until you've been to a science fiction fan party. <laughs> I'm sure.
4: My next trip has to has to be to the U.S. again. I mean, I haven't been there for ages, so. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, no, Bruno, come hang out in New York. We'll show you, like, the most rockin' time you've ever seen.
4: <laughs> I have no doubt.
1: <laughs> um, but, yeah, I don't know. I don't actually know what's what opportunities there might be in Paris, but if any of our listeners know of any science fiction stuff in Paris, shoot us an email at geeksgalaxy at gmail.com, and we'll, uh, we'll pass that along to Bruno. Thank you. So he can get hooked up with the scene. Yep. <laughs> um, but, I mean, honestly, a lot of, like, book events are kind of boring even if you're into it i mean you know that just kind of comes with the territory you know
3: because
1: i go to a lot of readings and i go i've been to a lot of panels on conventions Mm -hmm. and a lot of them are actually pretty boring i mean that's why the writers usually end up just hanging out in the bar (laughs) with each other rather than attending the panels
2: well it's like it's i think i think it's like really interesting at first and then you sort of get to the point where it's like okay well uh, these panels are all sort of variations on a the theme because, like, I mean, how many different panel topics can you come up with for a convention? Because it's like... uh you know, they they do the conventions for the people who aren't necessarily going to be able to go to every single one. And, of course, if you go to a big con like Worldcon, um, you know, you can only go to so many panels because they're programmed, to, you know, they're scheduled against each other. And so um, so maybe, you know, over the course of a couple of years, you can basically end up seeing all the different panel variations. But then at that, you know, even if you were that diligent about it, it's like you're probably going to get bored of panels eventually um but i mean yeah it's like i I think a lot of people go like i i mean the reason i still like to go is uh, is for interacting with uh just you know with friends in the community and and meeting fans and and that kind of thing like um yeah like at this point like i would much rather do like a coffee clutch or some kind of thing where i get to just interact with fans directly rather than like do a panel or something because it's like I mean, even just, like, from a marketing point of view, it's like, you know, I mean, I'm really, I mean, is anybody gonna, like, gonna go run out and buy my book because, like, they saw me say something smart in a panel or something? Uh, Probably not. You know, even if it's it's directly on the subject. (laughs) What's that?
3: Yes, they will. Well, they? They, Okay. Okay, Okay, maybe I'm a a total freak because I fucking, oh, am I allowed to curse? I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, go for (laughs) it. I fucking love the panels. And I've bought so many books based on that, mm-hmm. probably including yours, not from panels, but from listening right. to the show. <laughs> right. Well, I, I, yeah, I
2: mean, I think on the podcast, it's a little bit different. But I mean, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's it's always possible. I uh, I guess I, I kind of have some, uh, some bad memories of, of panels like uh, – um, cases where like i alienated the whole room just by 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 having an opinion um i mean it it was like sort of i I did a panel on battlestar galactica um (laughs) and it was like and they were talking about the difference between the like the original battlestar and and, like the contemporary one you know the more recent one in the you know the run more produced um and that was before the finale of that where i was like super a super fan of it and then later I, i soured on it because i hated the finale so much but um but i was like a super fan of it at the time and and i just assumed that everyone acknowledged that the. First, Battlestar Galactica was garbage and was not worthy of, of like talking about. Um, you know, because I was like, well, obviously the new Battlestar is the shit and the old ones are just shit. Um, and, uh, and, and I don't remember what I said, but like, oh man, did the room turn on me when I, when I made that opinion clear? So, uh, I was like, all right, no more media panels. I clearly am not, I don't have my finger on the pulse of that stuff. Like, I'm gonna stick to book related panels, but, um, I didn't sell any books at that one, I'm pretty sure. well that makes me wonder i mean like so zach for example
1: could do you um listen to the podcast and then have you discovered new authors that now you're a huge fan of and you go out and buy all their books and stuff like that
0: yes um paulo Bacigalupé. he was like one of the first ones uh but that was a mix between uh listening to people of sand and slag and then also hearing about you interview him on um, the Windup Girl, I think, mm-hmm. and that was episode two.
1: Yeah, episode two. <laughs> oh,
0: yeah, well, it's been a while. Uh, but yeah, I really like him. Um, I believe Tim Pratt. You had talked about kind of like a Twilight Zone style story that he wrote, and I haven't read any of his novels, mm-hmm. but I just. Ended up getting a couple of his collections, and I liked Tim Pratt quite a bit.
2: Was it Impossible Dreams that we talked about? Was that it? The 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 alternate reality about the, the video store?
0: Yeah, I think it's in other worlds than these.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep,
0: that's the one. And, and of course, so I read that, and I <laughs> really loved that. And then... I got him mixed up with Tim Powers, oh. <laughs> who I also read and really like, but he's much more of
1: like a novel type person. Yeah, and A little bit different, those two. <laughs> very different, yeah. <laughs> well, because Tim Pratt was one of my clarion classmates, he's a terrific, terrific short story writer and very prolific. And then Tim Powers is also, is a brilliant writer, but he like hates writing short stories. He's only written, I think, like 12 short stories in his entire career or something like that. And Tim writes twelve short stories like a month, <laughs> so there's a pretty drastic difference between the two. Um, and how about Bruno? Any uh, any favorite uh, favorite new authors you've discovered from listening to the podcast?
4: Absolutely, David Michel, which I, whom I'd never read before either. It was a little bit the same story as uh, China Meville I was turning around him. Uh, um, Cloud Atlas seemed like a, a huge endeavor. Uh, so I was a little bit holding back and after, after listening to his interview, I started with, um, Slade House and I think I've read everything that he's written now. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I tend to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and Licky also, I really like her Mm on a different, it's a different style. I mean, it's a different emotion, but, um, I am I find it very, very interesting though what you did with the she, even though it might seem gimmicky. It, it sticks on my mind all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, probably a lot of others, you know. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> well, it's funny, speaking of David Mitchell, I, I met a guy in New York recently, Greg, and he's a big David Mitchell fan. And I think he said he just read all his books and he said he's listened to all the interviews he's done. And he said, I never knew he was a big Dungeons and Dragons mm-hmm. player until I listened to your interview with him so that's, that's my contribution to david mitchell
2: uh, lore yeah to, yeah 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 that's what that's what Geek's Guide's all about is exposing the secret geeks among us
1: <laughs> well, no, it's really cool for me to just be able to interview like big scientists mm-hmm. and stuff and and ask them, oh, so do you like science fiction, and oftentimes they do, and they never get asked about it, and that's you know whenever I see an interview with anyone, I want them to ask well do you li- do you like science fiction and they never do so. Mm-hmm. This is my chance to finally <laughs> finally do that. So when You're... you ask them
2: that and they and they hate it and they, they say no and you just cut that out and pretend like it never happened so that you don't have to <laughs> have them uh, disappoint the audience? Yeah, yeah.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, because we do edit these shows a lot. And so like John was saying, like a lot of panels are boring when you go to see them at conventions because they're live and, you know, maybe they're not that great but on the show it helps a lot cuz you can edit stuff out so if anything's yeah. really boring it's just like you never nobody ever has to listen to it except me
2: except except uh, well the other thing is that um you know fan at at, at conventions they're fan run generally and so uh which is fine i mean a lot of i mean they take it seriously but then sometimes uh, there's so many panels and so many people participating sometimes the moderators that get chosen aren't necessarily that knowledgeable about a subject And, and and of course it varies because it's volunteers you know uh it varies how much effort each person puts into the moderation um whereas dave like I mean, he's like the most serious moderator like in existence. It's like he he like does so much research on every single topic and every single like interview and everything. Um, it's like really incredible. And so, uh, I mean, that definitely contributes to it. Although, of course, being able to edit out boring stuff helps as well. <laughs> And, uh, and you guys, like, you guys wouldn't have, uh, ever had the opportunity to, to witness anything like this, but like, um, and I hadn't either really, but, um, I stayed with Dave, uh, it back in November uh, of last year for, for a bit. And, uh, and so he was actually editing an episode while I was there. And so I never actually witnessed him, like, watched him do it, I don't think. Um, and so it was like really kind of, uh, uh, amazing and also slightly appalling because he was editing me because I was on the episode and so I was like, oh, oh my god, like I don't want to hear myself anymore. It's like, how can you even stand it? Like, how how do you even want to talk to me? Uh, but just like you know, watching him do it, just like over and over, listen to the same thing over and over and over, so he can cut out like the right stupid boring parts and, and and verbal fumbling. I just did it there just to make it easy for him to to find it in this episode. He, yeah, here, you can edit this part. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, that's that. So that's that's
1: why I only put out one show a week. <laughs> so, uh, um, I don't know. Do you, I'm just curious. Do you guys have any questions for us? Like anything that you've you've just been wanting to know this whole time, and you never had a chance to ask or anything? I don't know, Nicolette. Do you have any any questions you've always been wanting to ask about Geeks Guide to the Galaxy? Uh, are
3: you ever gonna put the two back together again? <laughs> 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 i I missed the the panel and the individual.
1: <laughs> um yeah, probably not I mean honestly it's it's made my life a lot easier, yeah. like, so much easier splitting them up mm. but but yeah, I don't know uh I don't know how do how do you other guys feel about splitting up the show uh Bruno, what did you think about that?
4: Uh, I liked it because I have my my injection more often, even if it's <laughs> a different one, <laughs> <laughs> and I actually um. I, I, I kind of get confused when there is one thing after the other. If, mm-hmm. if the topics are very different, um, I can uh, yeah, I can mix up the episodes in my mind, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, because yeah. one hour is already quite a lot, huh? Yeah. Actually.
1: Well, no, it got to be so challenging putting the two things together because. what would happen is, you know, you're trying to schedule an interview, and then somebody doesn't get back to you. And you try to schedule with somebody else, Mm -hmm. and they don't get back to you. And you try to schedule with somebody else, and they don't get back to you. And then you're, you know, you can't then start preparing for or recording the panel until you know who the guest is going to be, because you're trying to make them go together. Mm -hmm. So it just got to be such a nightmare. So that's, that's one of the main reasons that we ended up splitting it up.
2: Yeah, and you know, I mean, I, I, I totally get why people might miss that because, like, I really did enjoy that aspect of the show early on, where you know we would have the person, the interview guest, on, and then we would go and we would talk about whatever topic at more length and you know, uh, on and then with a specific focus. Um, but yeah, I mean that that it started to really limit the the guests that we could even line up because we we're like, okay, well, we can have this person on that would be great, but then what would we talk about in the related panel? Because we always tried to have the the panels related for for the for a long time. Um, and, uh, and then, like, and then, and then there would be episodes where it's like, oh, well, how, how am I going to, how am I going to learn enough about that topic? It's like, that makes sense to do as the panel, but how am I going to learn enough about that topic in order to, um, to actually talk about it and make, and not sound like an idiot? Um, and of course, when I stopped being, uh, a hundred percent co-host, uh, and then eventually, uh, dropped out as uh, a co-host, uh, and just became a producer, uh, that made things easier too, because then only Dave had to be knowledgeable about it and not me also. Uh, which which always made things challenging.
1: Yeah. So the answer to that one is no. <laughs> oh,
3: well,
1: uh, I can hear I, I you. Question
0: <laughs> I've been dying to ask you for the last like two weeks. Okay. Did you see Batman versus Superman? And
1: <laughs> if you did, how much did you hate that movie? <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah, I did see it because you know um, it was funny because I interviewed um, Glenn Weldon. Who wrote this book about Batman a couple episodes ago? And so I figured I would want to talk to him about that movie. So I had to go see it, and um, and he I had seen on his website that he was gonna have seen it, um, but then when I got him on the phone, it turned out he hadn't been able to see it after all. So that that whole uh, trip to the movie theater turned out to be kind of be a total waste of time. Uh but yeah, it wasn't good. I mean, I wouldn't even say I I hated it. Actually, I mean, I just thought it it was never it just wasn't good. And it just stayed not good for a really, really, really long time. And then it was over. <laughs> um, the thing that sticks, I mean, because I'm not a huge superhero comic person, so I don't know all the backstory about this. But there's this scene where there's like the like um, insect aliens and the Superman Nazis. And I had absolutely no idea what was going on there. It just <laughs> seemed like I, I wondered if I had, you know, if they had just like switched to a different movie when I wasn't paying attention or something. Even <laughs> the fans like me
0: had no idea what was going on there. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: I, and I have not seen it. I, uh, I, my, me and my wife were actually interested in it. Um, uh, cause it's like, oh, well, like elements of it looked interesting, but then like, I don't know. We, we didn't go, we didn't get to go see it right away. And then by the time, um, you know, other people had seen it, it just, it seemed like such an outpouring of like hate for it. that They were like, ah, oh, I don't know. I don't know if we want to make the trip out for it, you know, cause it's like, uh, you know we don't want to spend the money and take the, and it's like it's just like to go to the good movie theater where we would go see a movie um it's like you know probably an hour round trip uh for us so it's like you know a bit of a bit of bit of a um event to go do that and uh so sort they're of like eh, if if we have a high probability of it being a crappy movie maybe we'll skip it
0: yeah you shouldn't shouldn't <laughs> watch that movie
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't know what it. I don't know what it is about that one and Man of Steel too. But when I watch them, I feel like I don't feel like I'm watching a movie. I feel like I'm reading, uh, like a Cliff's Notes summary mm-hmm. of a of a movie. And like, so the like the events are happening, but I'm not feeling any emotional impact mm-hmm. from them. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why why exactly that is. But but it's definitely I just I just don't feel any emotions at all while watching those two movies.
0: I, I felt an emotion, but it wasn't <laughs> they wanted me to feel. I think it's just like it just scenes. Like there's no narrative like flow to any of it, especially this last one. But um, the Glenn Weldon interview, I was going to add him to someone that I really want to read because I'm a comic book fan and he seemed extremely knowledgeable. Mm. So I'll definitely be reading uh, anything he uh, is publishing. So,
1: Yeah, no, that was he's a he's a lot of fun to talk to. Although, like speaking of technical issues, I mean, I had a really really bad Skype connection when I was talking to him. So literally, like half of what he said, I couldn't even hear. It It was just dead Mm -hmm. silence. So I was just kind of (laughs) guessing what he had said for a lot of it. And fortunately, he had recorded his audio, so I was able to edit it together. Um, But just when you're talking about like like why editing is so important, you know, there was like the the unedited version of that was completely unlistenable. And it's actually, there's a funny story I have about that, too, because when I interviewed uh, Andy Weir, um, you know, and it, it, I it took a long time to set that up because he was really busy doing interviews around the time the Martian movie came out. And so we had it all set up. It was all set up to go. And I wake up that morning and it's, you know, I'm going to be interviewing him in two or three hours. And I have an email from him and it says, did you see that there's a worldwide Skype outage today? <laughs> And I was like, oh, come on. Oh, come on. That can't be real. You know, and I I log into Skype and it's not working. And I was like, oh, my God. So I I emailed him and I said, OK, I've never used uh, Google Talk before, but I think I can figure it out in the next two hours. And so I I set it up. I figure it all out. And I try calling him on his um, I try calling him on his phone. And it sounds good. And He says, OK, I have to do another interview now. And I'm like, all right, well, we're all set. So then, you know, an hour later, I call him back and I'm like, hey, Andrew, you there? And he's like. (laughs) (laughs)
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: and i was like no
3: um
1: unfortunately i think I, I think we were able to give him a cell phone or something so the the audio quality wasn't the best but it all it worked out in the end but yeah there's just a lot of stuff like that <laughs> when you do a podcast like this um but anyway so uh so bruno do you have any any questions you've been always dying to ask oh yes there is
4: mm. one. <laughs> um, one day on Twitter, Joss Whedon. Um, there, I had I got a message saying that Joss Whedon had followed me. Mm. So maybe one first question would be, what does it mean? I never understood, but never mind. Uh, but I said I could die that day because I'm a huge fan of Joss Whedon. What? Why don't you have him uh, mm. on your list?
1: I would totally have Joss Whedon. I mean, I just assume he would like not give us the time of day but i mean maybe maybe sometime i mean like the 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 big hollywood people like that tend to be really a challenge to get i mean we're only able to get them if usually if they have a book that came out and the publisher can set us up with an interview through that but uh hey producer how come you haven't set us up with joss what's what's your problem
2: (laughs) no i mean i'm pretty sure that we did try to get him at some point and um and yeah, we didn't get anywhere with it i mean obviously he's somebody that we would love to have on um, and, uh, yeah, the bigger, the bigger the person is and, and the more like in Hollywood land they are, and he's obviously very firmly in Hollywood land. Um, it, it's, it make, makes it much more difficult to, to even find out how to attempt to get them, let alone actually get them. So, um, and unfortunately almost all of our, our contacts are just in book publishing. And so we can, we can reach out to these people and we can at least get an answer on most of the most, you know, most authors and such. Um, but,
4: uh, even, even if it's not always, yes, but. Ask Chris Williams. I'm sure he has a, a contact.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, <laughs> that that is one thing that I've tried before in the past, uh, in, you know, like trying to get friends of a friend uh, to to sort of set it up. I mean, um, but uh, yeah, a, a lot of these
1: guests, though, even though we've interviewed them, we have no way to contact them because yeah. the the publicist sets us up with a phone number where they're at a hotel or something because they're on a tour or right, something, definitely. and then you call the hotel and you do the interview and then then you don't have any way to contact them afterwards. So Mm -hmm. it's not even necessarily we could get in touch with anyone we've had on the show who would know somebody.
2: Yeah. Although there are a few cases where it's like some famous person and we ended up calling them like, and it was like at their house because like they didn't have Skype or whatever. And it's like, well, that would be awkward to just like call them up and like, like, Hey, remember (laughs) when I interviewed you that time? That was fun. Wasn't it? Hey, could you, could you give me like Joss Whedon's phone number? like? Well, that's the thing, too.
1: Like, when I first started doing this, I very naively thought that everyone I interviewed would become my friend and remember (laughs) me and stuff like that. And, like, you know, a lot of these people, I mean, they're doing, like, eight interviews a day. They have absolutely, like, a year later, they have absolutely no idea who you are.
4: But I was very impressed that you got, um, I I don't remember his name, um, um, Sense8, uh, Bablin 5.
2: Oh, yeah, right. Uh, Yeah,
1: J. Michael Straczynski, yeah.
2: Yeah, 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 well, hard to get that one. We had, to, we had to really dig around to, to make that happen, but I mean that was really cool.
4: Yeah, it was. I I, I adore Sensei. I'm a big fan also. I mean, okay. we've been talking about books all the time now. Yeah. But, I mean, there are series and very interesting ones on, <laughs> on coming from America. <laughs> yeah. No,
2: no. no I, I mean. I'm sure you guys all heard the the 8 episode that we had. Uh, in, in addition to the Straczynski interview, you know, we also did that round table interview. And I mean, you know, obviously I, I love Sense8 like
4: oh, yeah, so you much loved like, it as much as I did.
2: <laughs> yeah. 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 And I, yeah you know, totally didn't expect to, but I mean, I totally did. Um, yeah. My wife yeah. and I were just talking about like, Oh, we, we might need to to do our fifth rewatch of it uh, here soon because, uh, you know, just getting that itch again. <laughs>
3: <Yeah>. <laughs> uh,
1: see, uh, uh, Nicolette, any other questions since I gave you such an unsatisfying answer to <laughs> last one?
3: <laughs> I don't know. I think you can set up some interviews from Beyond the Grave. Get Philip K. Dick and Ian Banks on, on the show for a special oh, Halloween seance episode.
1: <laughs> yeah. There is a podcast. I haven't listened to it, but there's a podcast called Dead Authors where they have – I think it's more of a comedy podcast, mm-hmm. but they have actors impersonating oh. – different you know deceased authors
2: well you know it's funny you mentioned since you mentioned philip k dick i mean one thing that dave and i actually did talk about at some point i was like oh man i i, I wish i wish that that philip k dick android hadn't gotten lost because wouldn't that be cool to like just like to like set up an interview with that android because it's like i mean as i understand it they had, like sort of programmed it with all all of like these philip k dick interviews so like it can kind of talk like him you know um oh and so it's like that would just be amazing. It would be super awkward, I'm sure. Like it probably doesn't really work as well as it sounds like it does, but um like that would have been so cool to just try. And then it's like because it's Phil Okay Dick, that would have made so much sense to do. Yes, <laughs> you know? That would
3: have been um,
2: amazing. Yeah. Fortunately, his even <laughs> it, even it, in even more Phil OK Dick fashion, uh the Android like disappeared, you know. Uh, <laughs>
0: <laughs> was it really an Android though?
2: Right, yeah. right, who knows? I mean, well, the, head, <laughs> the head was definitely detached, so I have to assume, but... Um, yeah, because I think the head is what disappeared. I, I i think they probably didn't lose the body, but they, they definitely lost the head.
1: It's funny, though, because, I mean, you know, Roger Slosney is my favorite author, and I want to interview him so much, but, I mean, he, he died a long time ago. But I, it, it honestly has crossed my mind to take an audio interview that he did and just record myself asking the questions. <laughs> oh,
3: my God, April Fool's episode, where... <laughs>
2: Yeah, you should just do it for yourself. Like, just, you know, just to yeah. have it in your archive. Just, you know, yeah, that'd make you feel good to have that done. <laughs> I do honestly,
1: on my wall here, I have a picture of, uh, I photoshopped of Roger Zalosny like, standing next to me.
4: That's <laughs> <laughs> with your head on top. I got killed for
2: You should use that as a publicity photo. Like, I, I, I will say that I have seen, there was an author online who was photoshopping himself into photos with famous authors as if he was signing with them. So, like, it made him look like, like he was famous because he was signing right next to whoever, um, but but he forgot to Photoshop in the legs is the problem uh, under the table. You could see that his legs weren't there.
1: All right, so so while we're on the topic of funny stories, actually, I, I have uh, John has a funny story I wanted him to tell. So John, tell tell your cat story.
2: Okay, yeah, so um, so we have. We have, uh, four cats now and, uh, at some point we, and there's this cattery, uh, cat shelter at, in, in the town that I live in. And so we would go down there periodically and we'd like, you know, look at cats and, and, and my wife's a bit of a sucker for the, the sad case cats, you know, um, the, the you know, the most damaged animals that they have. Like, you know, it's like the hyperbole and a half thing where it's like, you know, show them to me. Give me your most damaged animals and I will take it um and so we went down there and uh we saw this one like great cat and he's uh his name was yoda which is like perfect we actually already have a cat named chewbacca so and of course we love star wars so like you know yoda and uh, uh he was just like he's like very thin i mean uh he actually almost looked like uh like Gollum really even though his name was yoda he was more of a Gollum in appearance because he was like very sickly he um you know was very uh very gaunt um and so but he was very nice and so we 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 we, you know, hung out with them a bit at the Cattery and, uh, we, when we went home, but then we went back and, and we decided, oh, we're, let's, let's get Yoda. We're going to adopt him. And so they went to go find him and, uh, uh, they were chasing him around because, like, he was being very squirrely. He, he, even though previously he had, um, you know, been very docile and, and everything. But so, uh, they, they catch him and, and they give him to us and we take him home. Um, and, uh, and so we kept him in isolation for a while in, in, um, in my wife has an office in the house. And so, so, uh, we just kept him in isolation there, um, you know, to acc- acclimate himself, acclimate him to the house and the other cats. Um, but so, you know, one thing that became very clear right away, even though he was like by himself, he wasn't dealing with other cats. It's like, you know, he didn't really seem like Yoda. Like, you know, it's like behavior was very, um, very, uh, sort of standoffish. Like he wouldn't let you touch him. And, um, we're like, well, You know, I mean, I know he, it's like he's sick. He, uh, you know, he has some like parasites and stuff. Um, you know, uh, a lot of the cats that come out of the, the cat shelter have parasites. And so, um, so, you know, but anyway, we're like, okay, well, we tried to accommodate and and everything. And, um, but so because of these parasites, we're like, okay, well, we need to take the cat to the vet. And so, um, my wife, uh, went in the office and, and tried to corral him. And, um, uh, cat just freaked out and, um, and like scratched her and bit her, right? And so, um, like, bit her so bad, like right on the sort of the, the, the skin between your, between her thumb and her, um, and her index finger. that so she like dug in right there and like it went, like went right through. Um, and, uh, so she got like poisoned basically. Like the cat's mouth was so toxic. That her hand swelled up like a, like a lobster claw and like she had to go get antibiotics. I mean, and it literally like was a serious situation. Like, you know, she had to go to the emergency room. Um, so basically this cat tried to kill her. Um, and, uh, and just as a PSA, um, Billy, if you get bit by a cat, like go to the doctor, like seriously, like don't screw around, like go to the doctor because like their mouths can be really toxic. Um, and, um, so, so, you know, so that happened but we got we did eventually get the cat into the cat carrier and we got it to the vet and everything um and my wife was fine um you know she recovered fine um and uh so so we have the cat back and the cat still seems like okay even after the vet and after after um the medicine has happened uh, it's like yeah it's still like it doesn't seem like the same cat um and then so i go back to the cattery because actually um when i was doing the kickstarter for help on my robot army which is an anthology i was doing um I, I wanted to do a video, but I didn't want to like talk on a video because like I, it it was awkward and I tried doing it and I couldn't do it. So I was like, I know I'm going to exploit cats. And so I made a cat exploitation video, uh, by, I went to the cattery and I just asked them, could I, um, shoot some video of the cats and I'll, I would talk over, uh, you know, I would do some narration, uh, uh, for, for my Kickstarter video, but then people could just watch cats while I'm talking because I figured that would be more fun. Um, and so we went down there again. And so we're like, and so we had shot some video of the cat at home and we're like, Oh, hey, so like, look, Yoda's talking and he, and you know, he's like sort of coming around. And they were, and they were like, Um, so, you know, that's not Yoda. Uh, so what happened was they actually gave us the wrong cat. Um. <laughs> And, uh, so, yeah, this, so, so, so the cat came from this, like, litter of cats, um, this, this one family, I guess they, they had the they had all these cats, and they were all, like, super inbred, and, and, like, they just never got them fixed and everything, so it was just, like, this, uh, you know, inbreeding, um, like, free-for-all over there, and, and, and so, so they had several cats from this litter, and so they gave us, uh, his sister, um, and so that's the cat that we took home, and Yoda was still actually at the cattery, and so, um, when we found that out we actually end up eventually we ended up taking Yoda home as well and then so now we have Yoda the actual Yoda the real Yoda and then we have his sister um who we named Cora which uh as in short for Coraline which is kind of appropriate because she's like the other cat you know like Coraline <laughs> was like had like the other mother um and uh and there was a, something very Gaiman-esque about the whole situation so it seemed kind of appropriate um And, uh, so yeah, now, now we have both of them and, um, and Cora actually, even though she tried to kill my wife, she's actually come around a long way. Like now, now she's like rehabilitated. She was basically feral at the time. Um, and she's a very, uh, very much a a nice cat now and she's, you know, we can pet her and everything. And, uh, and Yoda and both she and Yoda are actually totally healthy at this point. Uh, they were both full of parasites and and everything when we first got them, but now they're both healthy. Uh, Actually, Yoda, they had said was unadoptable because he was so sick. Uh, but now he's just complete. I mean, several thousand dollars later, you know, he's fine now, but you know, <laughs> you know, he's, uh, he's good. Um, and actually, well, wasn't, wasn't the cat allergic to its own teeth or something like that? Oh, well, yeah. Yoda, the actual Yoda, eventually, um, he had to have all of his teeth removed. Yeah. Because his gums were sort of, um, yeah. Like treating his teeth, like, like a, like an infection or whatever, or, or like, you know. It was like his body rebelling against his teeth and so his his he so he has no teeth now and it's like the cutest thing to watch him yawn because he just yawns and he doesn't have any teeth. So if you want to
1: know why John is too busy to be a full time co-host of the <laughs> podcast because of shit like that. Yeah.
2: Yeah, we actually thought that Yoda was gonna have to have diapers, like we thought we were gonna have to diaper him because he was just like <laughs> he was so damaged. <laughs> but uh yeah, no, he's all cured now, so
4: Yeah. The 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 force is strong in his family
2: <laughs> <laughs> indeed. Oh, so I, I, I have a question for Zach, if I can. Yeah, go for it. Um, so Zach, so you mentioned you you wrote standardized tests. Have Have you ever written a story or or like is your is your writer's a future story or anything? Is anything any any of your stories like influenced by by writing tests? Because um, one of my favorite stories of all time is the Death Bird by Harlan Ellison, and that sort of starts off in the, in the form of a test, like you know where the story is being told in that that format. Um, have you have you played around with that at all? No, um,
0: hmm. but. Uh, There is a really good story in The Wastelands 2. Oh, yeah, right. A a test. I forget Mm -hmm. who wrote it, but that was was... a really good story. Yeah, that was Megan Uh, Arkenberg, yeah. uh, No, I didn't. I I mainly... So people would mark up the edits, and I would just... I was like the middleman that didn't need to be there. Like, Hmm. I, I just did what the markups were. It's like, why don't you just do it yourself? <laughs> that is, I don't know. So <laughs> well, for for half of it. And then my second half, uh I was programming logic for computerized tests. So it was much more brain intensive, but mm-hmm. I was already addicted to Geek's Guide by then. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, not not uh too many interesting stories. That's like a really boring that's like working for the man like (laughs) uh, yeah i work from home now so it's like so much better than Mm -hmm. going to work every day and like pretending like you're working but but the flip side is you can't pretend like you're working when you're at home like that's impossible you have to work (laughs) yeah
4: can I ask a question to you and David, and maybe even John and Nicolette? I don't know, but uh, sorry, David and Zach. Uh, David, you mentioned your mother being uh, your first um, financer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and Zach, you t- you mentioned your father also being part of your uh, endeavor in uh, your your ontology uh, Is it something? Uh, do you what kind of support do they have? Are they geeks themselves? What, why are they involved in your work? Apart from being your parents
0: for me um no, my dad is like he's a patent attorney, so he like he's really sciencey but absolutely not a geek, he's like full jock mode so um but he's just interested in like helping my writing career and and editing and that sort of thing, so um. Yeah, and then we're we're splitting at fifty fifty, and then any pro like anything if we actually make money off of it, then it'll be split fifty fifty between him and I.
1: Um, and then yeah, in my case, my me and my parents are big fantasy and science fiction fans. I mean, they read fantasy and science fiction books to me growing up, and that's really how I got into it in the first place. And they've always just been really really supportive. Um, you know, I mean, it was my mom's idea for me to go to Clarion. It was her idea for me to get an MFA. It was her. I mean, she helped out with this podcast, for example. Like I had never used Skype before and she suggested we could use Skype to record interviews over the internet. I was like, wow, you just blew my mind. <laughs>
3: <Yeah>. <laughs> um, nice one.
1: So, just so no, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> um, so no, I mean, a, a lot of the stuff that I've accomplished, I would never, there's just no chance I would have accomplished it without my parents, uh, encouragement. And even like, I think I was telling you, Bruno, my grandmother, I mean, when I first started doing this show, the internet here where I live was so bad I couldn't even do it, and I would just drive over to my grandmother's house every time I uh, needed to record an interview because the internet actually worked over there. So, so yeah, I mean, it takes a yeah. This is definitely in, in a, it's a family effort in a mm-hmm. way. Uh, Geeks Guide to the Galaxy.
2: Yeah, I mean, for me, uh, for me, um, you know, my. Uh... My mother, uh, was sort of a peripheral fan. Like she, she sort of enjoyed, uh, media, science fiction and fantasy. Although I, I I didn't identify that until much later. Um, and so, uh, so, you know, that there's, that there's sort of that at least peripheral interest. And then, you know, once I sort of started working in the field, she was been very supportive. Like, you know, she, she wants to have copies of all my books and even if she doesn't end up reading them and she has read some of them, but, um, but yeah, she's, she's always been very supportive. Um, one funny thing to me, sort of in, in, in retrospect, looking back on my life, you know, I mentioned, uh, you know, when I was like 10, 11, uh, you know, Red Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and it was a really sort of, uh, tough time for me. So like, my stepfather was very strict, and I was like always, like, grounded and everything. Um, well, the funny thing is, is that he was actually a super, like, geek, and, even though, like obviously, like I was like I don't know, we just it, like we never could connect it's like we were like oil and water, like I mean I, and I don't think I was like a bad kid per se or whatever, but like I don't know, I don't know what it was, but um, it's like you know he's like he played d and d and uh he actually wrote a screenplay that was like an epic fantasy story, so I just think it's it's kind of funny that 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 was my stepdad, and yet somehow we couldn't connect um and uh. You know, I do take some pleasure in the fact that actually I was able to, you know, make my actual career out of this, whereas I, I think he would have loved to have done that himself. Um, but, uh, that's just because, like, I, I take some petty vengeance in that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I should, I should mention actually, um, although my step, I, I, you know, never got along with my stepdad, uh, his brother actually was a huge influence on me and we, we've remained friends. Um, and, you know, not, not as close as we used to be, but he used to like, um, he went to school in Florida in Orlando, which was a like a couple hours drive from where I used to live. And so he would come down and he would visit periodically. And like, he was like really important to me in terms of um, like sort of expanding my horizons, um, like both for like, you know, sort of uh, tolerance um, of, of other viewpoints and stuff, because like, you know, sort of, I grew up with uh, uh, some stupid ideas, like a lot of people have, like partially because uh, like that I got from my dad, partially because of uh, other people in my environment. But you know, it's like he sort of set me straight on certain things and um, made me realize that you know uh, uh, you know you have to have an open mind about all these things, and uh, also just sort of broaden my horizons in terms of uh, like music and uh, you know uh, science fiction, fantasy a little bit, but mostly uh, mostly music and other types of uh, cultural stuff like that. So, um, yeah, but I mean, he's a, he's very important to me. He's like more more of a father figure to me than my you know, stepdad ever was, for sure. Hmm. Sorry if I'm getting like too deep and personal
4: here. No, no, feel free to I love think it. If, if I tell you that I I was uh, listening to Emily Harris when I was a kid, you know who I'm talking about, right? Emily uh, Harris. Yeah. Um. Oh no, not a fan. Who is that? Wow, she was a uh, she. she she was i don't know uh um, a country music singer oh okay you don't yeah, know I don't her know. no zach, I don't know. yeah I don't, I don't know country sorry <laughs> <laughs> what about you zach um
0: oh. more rock and punk rock and rap also i'm young so
3: <laughs> <laughs> countries <laughs>
0: True.
3: <laughs> you know who the Beatles are? That argument doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, come on. Yeah. <laughs> I
0: I know Johnny Cash. I love Johnny Cash. He's old country.
3: Yeah, I know Belu Harris. She's an amazing vocalist. Uh, but if you're not into that genre of music, I it is hard for me to imagine that you could actually miss uh, having heard of her, even not listening to that genre.
2: Yeah, I mean, but- I may have I may have heard of her. I may have heard like a song of hers or whatever, and just not like ever known. Her by name, like I bet my wife knows who she is because she actually grew up with country.
4: Oh, so wait, out of four Americans, there is one who knows <laughs> Emily Harris. <Okay. laughs> oh, well,
2: let let me just tell you, and you guys probably know from the show, but like Dave is never going to know any musical reference whatsoever. Like he, he... That's, that's true. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, it's so it's so funny. Like he at some point he he explained like. He was he was essentially like an alien trying to understand human culture when it came to music. Like in <laughs> high school, it's like he just didn't understand it. He didn't he never, didn't get music or anything, and so like he embarked on this quest to understand the cool music that the cool kids listen to. Um, yeah, I used and,
1: to watch MTV with a notepad and I would write down the songs and stuff because oh, I because I had to yeah because I had to memorize them all so I'd I would know what people were
2: talking about. Yeah, <laughs> and that's why he's the host of Geek of the Galaxy. <laughs> so. Oh, I, I I I should say that um, like you know I'm I'm really into metal and um, um the reason I mention it is just because it's been on my mind recently is like so we have some neighbors who live across the street and like they're they're like always like you know playing music in their cars and whatever and and like you know they have a bouncy castle business and so they're they you know and they're always in their front yard like talking or like you know using their their equipment to inflate and deflate and vacuum the thing so it's like they make a lot of noise you know um and so previously like the music has always been like big bass you know blasting out the back of the car or whatever as it drives back and forth or they're sitting idling in front it's like lately there's a new guy there now who like he got a new truck and like he's uh he's and he was so he was blasting metallica though and i'm like no 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 you can't can't it's not fair to torture me with metallica like, cause it's like, okay, like I, when I, when I, li- when I want to listen to music, I want to listen to music when, when I'm trying to do something else, I don't want to listen to somebody else's music. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, I it drives me crazy, but, um, it's like, it just didn't seem so unfair to like, then be, uh, you know, attacking my, my peace and quiet with actual Metallica, which is like, it, it's like using something I love to destroy me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I have a similar situation, uh, cause I work from home. And I'm in the middle of this gentrifying neighborhood and like once a week people would ring my doorbell. Like when I'm in the middle of work, when I'm doing a meeting or something uh, (laughs) and they would be like, Hey, uh, your, your lawn is a little high. You want me to mow it? Oh no, get out of here. And, and we've, uh, Oh, those people that try to sell—what um what do they call them? Uh, it's a specific kind of vacuum. But don't ever let any of those people into your house. <laughs> like, like threaten. It's like I'll call the cops if you get anywhere near. Because it's so hard to get them out. And I, I looked up. I was, like they were cleaning my carpet or whatever for free, right? Mm-hmm. And. <laughs> I I was just on on my phone looking at the reviews. Never seen a more low re- reviewed item online <laughs> than what they were selling.
1: Well, you know what's a really highly reviewed item? A Casper mattress. Oh, <laughs>
0: <laughs> I just bought a, a Casper mattress pillow because I love my Casper mattress. Geek's guide. Uh, what is it? Caspermattress.com/slash Geeks
1: or no galaxy. Slash yeah, Casper.com slash Galaxy. And use the promo code Galaxy to get you off. Yeah, it's
0: really good. Um my I have all kinds of animals. And uh when they jump up on the bed, because it's always just a free for all, uh in the middle of the night, if they jump up on the bed, I don't feel it. Unless they actually jump on top of me. So it's like it's really good. Highly recommend it. As high, like the inverse of the vacuum. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: when will say, they uh,
4: come to Europe? What's that? <laughs> when will they come to Europe? Oh, the vacuum
2: Casper
0: or the evil vacuum people?
4: <laughs> <laughs> no, no. no, the evil vacuum. You can you can keep it. Really. Yeah, I think was an American thing only. <laughs>
1: See, Zach, in your in your bio on Starship Sofit said that you grew up with cows outside your window.
0: Oh, yeah. I grew up on a ranch. Um, uh, 100 acres, um, San Antonio, a little north of San Antonio. And, yeah, we had cows. We still have cows. If I go over there, we go out and shoot guns and do all the redneck stuff. <laughs> uh not at cows.
1: Huh. <laughs> You're. Are you in Austin? You're in Austin now, right?
0: Yeah, I had to get out of San Antonio. That was. I'm. I'm not that redneck. I'm. I'm pretty progressive, and San Antonio is pretty not progressive. And so I just had to get to Austin. Like, uh, I had been let go from that job, and my wife was, uh. She was getting a promotion, but she was also looking at other jobs and a librarian position at the state archives in Austin uh, came up and she applied and it's like, you should we should take the job. And we and that was that was the week that Writers of the Future flew me out. So very grateful to my wife who moved all of my stuff while I was having fun with authors doing writing <laughs> exercises and stuff. She did all the hard work getting me to Austin.
1: Yeah, Austin is cool, though. I actually lived there for about a year, um, and there were a lot of science fiction writers there, too. I mean, it's a really cool place. Yeah, I love it. I really like... There's
0: always something going on, and I the music scene is great, and uh, I've I'm just very happy. It's like a little oasis in Mm -hmm. the very very conservative state um that's why i have to compliment geeks guide so much it's like i didn't have a whole lot of experience with friends or family um being really into reading and i mean like i said video games was like where i got most of my nerd stuff i was like a geek and a jock in high school so or like a, a gamer and a jock which is that's something that's like a real thing now like you can do it it's <laughs> <laughs> um but uh yeah so not a lot of uh exposure and i think like a podcast like this can really take someone that's like in a in an isolated area that doesn't have exposure to like all these amazing just methods of uh, getting these um awesome authors on their shelves, and not just authors, obviously TV and, and the discussion, too. So, thumbs up. <laughs> well, well,
1: it's, it's interesting because I was talking to Bruno the other day, and he says that he's never actually really played video games at all, but he still listens to the shows where we talk about video games. Uh, <laughs> I think that's so interesting.
4: Yeah, it's a vision on the, a world that has never really appealed to me. I think I'm not fast enough and not patient enough at the same time, <laughs> uh, for some of the games and some others. But, um, it's part of what I call geekery. So, uh, I, since I consider myself a geek, it's still a world that I want to know. I think there is also a lot of creativity that I, I can't touch because the, 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 the medium is not, is not something that appeals to me, but it seems very, very creative also. Hmm visually and in terms of the story that the the intricacy that they seem to be uh, to be able to put into these games. It seems yeah, it's kind of fascinating still.
3: Hey. Your you guys' episode with Ron Gilbert is one of my favorites. <laughs> oh <to> yeah. <laughs> that was a really good one. I love the adventure game.
1: So have have you been following Thimbleweed Park?
3: Um not closely enough to know like what's happening right now, but yes. I'm really excited. (laughs) Is it is it going to be finished soon?
1: Like, do you know any details? Yeah, no. I mean, I think it's um, scheduled for July or August. uh, Oh, pretty soon, yeah. But 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 yeah. So this is a game in the style of Secret of Monkey Islands. It's a crowdfunded game from Ron Gilbert and Gary Winnick, who did Maniac Mansion. And it's all you know. It's not Bruno. You would like it. You don't have to have good reflexes or anything. It's just all about (laughs) a story and solving puzzles and it's really really funny and saying funny things to people and uh, i love those games so much and they've been kind of out of style for a while and i'm just so glad that the crowdfunding has come along and allowed Ron gilbert to to make these kinds of games again
0: um telltale games
1: is kind of i think is kind of bringing that
0: adventure style game back into at least to the modern audience because i didn't really grow up with those like um adventure games that you did um but they're they're very story focused and like decision driven uh wolf among us and tales from the borderlands are both really good titles and uh if you want great story with like a branching narrative i you'd be hard-pressed to find any anything better than that i think
1: Hmm. Have you played their, uh, Walking Dead or Game of Thrones
0: games? Uh, yes. I've played the Walking Dead season one. Um, and then the one in between season one and two. And then I played episode one of, uh, Game of Thrones. And they're not, in my opinion, the Game of Thrones one is not as good as the others. Um, it's, it's kind of has like a lot of different narrative paths going on. And I, Felt like I preferred something more focused like Wolf, Wolf Among Us is like this neo-noir detective story where you're trying to figure out. If you've ever read Fables, um, uh, the Vertigo comic, it's it's a prequel to that, and you're investigating a murder. Um, and then Tales from the Borderlands is like an adventure science fiction and very comedic. Did you play, try to play um, Kentucky Loop Zero? Kentucky Route Zero. No, is that a is that on Steam or?
3: Um, uh, I think I downloaded it directly from their website, and it was probably originally crowd but what isn't these days? <laughs> but um, I think they're only to episode three or five, and it's it's really interesting what they do. Although I, I have to say it was a bit. Uh, <laughs> There were the, the puzzle aspect of the adventure game um, was missing for me. It, it was a bit too much focused on kind of like weird surreal conversations where you could say really random stuff, <laughs> which I guess has a appeal in the certain,
0: certain
3: thing. What think, I
0: wanted to oh, I'm sorry. <clears throat> oh no, no, I was just uh, as a as a genre, they do seem to be kind of pulling away from the puzzle element because that's the same as uh, the the latest from Telltale Games was, it's, yeah, it's more about zany conversation, and mm-hmm. less about figuring out a puzzle.
3: I mean, I like it bo- them both, but I miss the puzzles when they completely disappear.
0: <laughs> right, yeah, so do I.
3: <laughs> this is a nice drive. Have any of you guys, I want thought to ask this before, it's so, so science fictional, and now we're talking about games, have any of you guys tried virtual reality yet? Are you? Have you pre-ordered an Oculus <laughs> 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 and not received it because none of them are shipping? <laughs> yeah. uh,
2: I haven't. I haven't tried it yet. Uh, I I saw uh, Daniel Wilson uh, uh, tried it, I believe, and uh, but uh, that's as close as I've been to it. Is uh, <laughs> one degree of separation here. But
0: I tried um, last year at PAX, so I'm sure it's not. It's more polished now because I think it's. I think you can buy an Oculus now.
3: You can um, order them and they're not receive them they're having shipping problems.
0: Ah, uh, okay. Um, yeah, I, I'll get one just as soon as uh, like respectable developers start developing, or like there's like an indie title that everyone's like, you've got to play this. But right now, I haven't really heard anything like that. That that's out yet.
3: Yeah.
2: I think it would be really dangerous to have one of those in my house. Uh, not only for me, but like I think my wife might um, enter uh, the virtual world and then never return. Like if uh, if there was a a version that was Skyrim or like you know Elder Scrolls, whatever whatever future Elder Scrolls title there was, um, if there was one of those, and she could just like enter the virtual world, uh, she would like never leave. Um, it would be like my story, save
1: me, please. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Which you can read over at davidbarcroftley or in
2: Press Start to Play,
1: or in Press Start yeah. to Play. Good, good point, John.
0: <laughs> There's another good one uh, that's similar. Uh, I forget it was a more of a literary author, but and he's like reliving his times in a VR. That was a that was a really good story in Press Start to Play.
2: Yeah, the TC Boyle story. TC Boyle's right. Yeah, the the Relive Box, uh, I believe it was called. Yes, that
0: was a really good story.
2: Yeah, it was really I was. Yeah, I was really excited about that story when I when I read it. uh, And I was like, why isn't anyone else in the genre talking about this? This is, you know.
0: It was uh, it was like one o'clock when I started reading that. And then I just ended up finishing the whole story. I was like, oh, what's this? (laughs) I had just finished the one before. and then I was like super late and tired the next day. But I was like still thinking about it the whole next day. I was like, man, that's how I want to write a VR story. That's what I want to do. And I have a VR story coming out in Futuristica. It's kind of, that's my, uh, I think it's going to be out, out in August, Futuristica volume two. And it's kind of like a rear window style story, um, with someone who's disabled and someone who's mostly deaf. Like my father's mostly deaf and kind of, uh, but that doesn't really affect her in VR. And, uh, mm-hmm. and it was also, I wrote it, it took, took a while to sell, but I wrote it before, um, Gamergate, but then the editor was like, who just recently bought it was like, man, you got to tie this in with Gamergate. Cause it's like exactly what's happening. And I was like, oh yeah,
1: you're <laughs> right. See, Nicola, have you, uh, have you written any fiction all? Is that something you're interested in?
3: Um, I've been playing around with writing from the last year or so, but I haven't, uh, nothing's come of it yet. Cause I like my profession is nonfiction writing. So the energy tends to go there, but, uh, maybe someday I'll finish something. We'll
4: see.
1: (laughs) how about Bruno? Do you, do you do any sort of writing? Have you thought about that?
4: I've thought about it. (laughs) Uh, I'm, I'm not sure if it was on, on the show that someone said, um, you don't try to write something. You need to to write something. Um, you write something. You see what I mean? You remember yeah, that? Yeah. And author said that. I think it was Unleaky, no? I think,
1: I, think it was, re- I think it was Yoda. He said
2: it to <laughs> 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 you beat me too, Dave. I was... <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, <laughs> yeah, because he's a frequent guest. Yoda is a frequent guest. Yeah. <laughs> <to the show. laughs> <laughs> but I mean, but I think that's true of writing fiction. But I mean, do you ever think about just writing movie reviews or book reviews or anything like that?
4: Uh, mm, I think I, I'm too doubtful about the interest of what I could write to do that. Now, I, I I have some ideas for novels or or short short stories. Sorry, maybe probably not novels, but um, I I don't know. I've never managed to really go beyond page one. And that's why I was referencing this, this quote by, by whomever it was who said it. Um, you might have an idea. It's not because you have an idea. It might be good, but it doesn't mean necessarily that you're going to write it because you don't have this inside you. Am I making sense?
1: No. Yeah. Ab- absolutely. Yeah? yeah. Okay. I think, I, I think that's really interesting though. Cause I mean, I think that most podcasts about, Books and interviewing authors and things are mostly only listened to by aspiring authors or other authors. Mm. And I always wanted Geeks Guides to the Galaxy to be something that would reach out beyond that and interest people in science fiction, get people more people reading science fiction, and not just be appealing to authors. So,
4: even though I, mu- I must say uh, a lot of the stuff that I hear, they give uh, extensive information about their creative process, and that was really. Fascinating for me. Eh? Uh, so I, I wonder how how far beyond my simply being a, a reader it goes. I mean, I studied literature literature at the beginning uh, when I when I went to university. I'm I'm kind of versed in the creative techniques and all that. So it's a, it's always something that I've had in my mind. Writing is another story. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, actually, Nicolette. I mean, you, you know, we mentioned at the beginning that you said that you you really wanted to be on Geek's Guide to the Galaxy was there anything when you imagined it that you wanted to talk about like any like what topics you thought would be really cool to discuss or anything that you're personally really passionate about or anything like that
3: well I'm I've been focusing a lot of my reading and and talking lately the last like year or so on post-apocalyptic stuff because well you know, some of it's really good. Some of it's other crap that's just kind of repetitive power fantasy stuff that I really don't need to read another clone book of. But um I'm kind of fascinated with the, like, why do people even like it? Like, why do I like it? Why do I like reading about everything being destroyed? And I've just been examining that question really closely. That's still one of my, like, little pet obsessions. Um... But you guys have done some nice panels on the
1: topic. Yeah, well, we have a leading yeah. expert on post-apocalyptic fiction right here on our panel.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I did pontificate on that very question in both the introductions to Wastelands 1 and 2. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it definitely is an interesting question. I mean, I, I, I wondered about it myself as well. and uh, But, uh, yeah, I mean, as far as, like, I don't know, like, what got you interested in, in post-apocalyptic post-apocalyptic fiction i mean for me it was actually um the game wasteland and then fallout later uh and then and then i started reading after that but like what what were your sort of keystones in that in that genre um
3: or let's see i think the very first one i read was probably Canical for oh, level mm-hmm. of course um which is weirdly it's my mom's favorite book ever and so she gave me her copy and was like i love this book and that was like the first very first one that got me interested mm-hmm. and i mean I, there's so many cool uh, imaginative possibilities in it of mm-hmm. course like it's you know it's just wipe the slate clean and do whatever you want yeah. <laughs> basically so there's a lot of appeal there i I ended up getting really into S.M. Sterling's dies, the fire, never ending bullshit, which like I love and also hate at the same time Uh because it's got some issues, but, um, but I really enjoy kind of the, (laughs) the whole weirdness that he builds up there, um, and then there's another one called Into the Forest by Gene Hegland, which is actually one of the very, very few post-apocalyptic books I have ever read that it is not just about the world's over. Let's try to rebuild it exactly as it was before, as soon as possible, yeah. <laughs> where I'm just like, everything's over. Can't we do something like way cooler now? <laughs> um, And. I don't know. So th- those were some of the starting books and I just, I kind of, I'll get into the like romantic aesthetic of ruins and stuff like that. So there's probably a couple of elements that draw, draw me into it, but and I, that I just started sort of studying it obsessively to see what people it, and, you know, like what was happening in history when, when the big booms in post-apocalyptic literature were happening mm. and was there a connection there and stuff like that it's pretty fascinating I quite I enjoyed your your anthologies on the subject oh. there I'm I'm a hard sell when it comes to short stories but
0: <laughs> I read your review of it and I saw that you like people of sand and slag quite a bit and that was probably my favorite story in that anthology as well
3: that was so weird oh I love that mm. story it was so good <laughs> yeah
0: I just recently watched I'm a huge fan of post-apocalyptic everything um, and kind of what got me on it was Fallout 3 came out. Uh, I was a freshman uh, in college and I had all of the freedom (laughs) and so I would just I was actually a graphic design major so I didn't have that much freedom but um, I ended up getting that game at midnight and just playing it so much. Um, but just the other night I watched uh, a movie that I didn't know was a kind of a post-apocalyptic film, but uh, things to come HG Wells have, has anyone seen that? Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I highly recommend it. Uh, it's a, it's a really good film. I think it was in 1936, so it's older. Oh, okay. but yeah. So if you want to see like old, um, like imagery of of pre World War 2 thoughts on the apocalypse, um, that's your movie, and it's a it's fantastic. And it's like it's like go science, fuck yeah! I so I love. <laughs> so I love it's like super positive about science, <laughs> which is usually a lot of times. Like with Paolo Bacigalupi, not the case mm-hmm. in a lot of sense, right. like post-apocalyptic. So that that's what I really loved about that movie. And it felt so pertinent, even though it's like 100 years old.
1: Uh, all right, cool. So I think we should probably start wrapping this up pretty soon. I guess just the last thing I want to ask you guys is do you have any suggestions for Geeks Guide to the Galaxy? Or I mean, a lot of people say that they listen to the show and they wish they could... Interact and respond and stuff, and so that's kind of one of the things I uh, hope we've accomplished with this episode. But I, I, so I wonder sometimes should we have a message board or you know some way that fans could uh, connect with each other and talk to each other or something like that. So I don't. Know, I'm just curious if you guys have any any suggestions along those lines. So uh, Bruno, what do you think? Any any suggestions for us? Um. <laughs> Like, I mean, if there was a message board, would you, is that something you'd be interested in? Or are you just perfectly happy listening to the podcast? No,
4: I think I'm perfectly happy with listening to the podcast. And I'm, I'm, um, I'm very happy that you have transcripts. I think some of the panels should have transcripts also, because sometimes I, I try to find references to, (laughs) like, (laughs) I'm pretty sure that after, after the Chana Mieville interview, there is something some, one of you guys mentions, the, uh something about uh, him saying that he told his friend, th- his girlfriend told him that the fridge man was coming the day yeah. after. Yeah, right. That's really stuck in my mind because I'm exactly like this. I mean, you were talking about uh, growing up with cows and I was imagining cows coming to the table and uh, serving breakfast <laughs> and stuff like that, you know. <laughs>
1: Yes. Yeah, so just for people who don't remember that. So, um, so China Phil said that he, his, his girlfriend at one point said to him, the refrigerator men are coming tomorrow. And he imagined these like half refrigerator, half man guys showing up at the door. <laughs> and he said there's basically, you know, two kinds of people, the kind of people who just imagine guys coming to fix the refrigerator and people who imagine the, the mutant refrigerator <laughs> hybrid guys. <laughs> Okay, but so transcripts, okay. Transcripts
4: uh, are good. good. Um, message board, I don't think I would come. I'm not sure. Uh, references would be nice. I'm not sure that you have them. Uh, like, for example, the, the things that, um, uh, Nicolette mentioned, mm, the title that Nicolette mentioned, I think some of them I would like to have. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah. or even, or, or the others, huh, by the way, but, uh, probably a list of sources would be nice also. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's probably something that I miss.
1: Well, actually, on our website, if you go to, I, th- I think we still have. We had a link where we, I had an intern for a while going through and just listing all the books and stories and things that we mentioned in each episode. I mean, I think it's like a hundred episodes out of date now, <laughs> but um, you know, we have we have tried to do that in the past. Yeah. But yeah, that I, I a lot of people actually have requested that. So yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's a good that's a good thing to have. Yeah.
4: Now, apart from that, no communicating with others, no listening to the podcast is very good. <laughs> 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 it's my weekly pleasure.
1: <laughs> All right, cool. So, Nicolette any any suggestions for us?
3: Um, I don't know. I think I would need a message board or anything like that. Although the only thing that comes to mind is really out of your control because it sometimes it's frustrating that like I never see your Facebook posts and that has nothing to do with you. <laughs> it has to do yeah. everything to do with the bullshit on Facebook. Uh, but no, you guys are. You guys are kicking. You know, so. <laughs> Keep up the good work.
1: Alright, cool. Zach, any, any ideas for us? Um,
0: bonus content for subscribers? <laughs> I don't know what it would be. I don't know how you would manage that. Probably be pretty difficult.
1: Well, I mean, Patreon actually makes it easy to put bonus things on Patreon, but then we have the issue of the people who support us through PayPal, so we'd have to have some other way to get get bonus content to them but
0: well and what would it be and yeah I a, a couple of podcasts that i subscribe to do they have like a tiered system so someone gives uh and theirs is all through paypal um but like at a certain amount a month you unlock this bonus show or whatever bi-weekly or once a month show i don't know how difficult that i'm sure that would be a ton of work but i mean that's could be what turns the lights on i don't know
1: all right cool so yeah 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 doing an additional (laughs) bi-weekly or monthly show uh that would be a little that's a little bit outside my uh capabilities right now but no i definitely think some sort of bonus content for people who support the show is uh is a an interesting idea that I'd, i'd love to do if i could just think of something good (laughs) (laughs)
3: like the show where everyone is just like laughing the whole time and stuttering and like have you ever collected that stuff or you probably just delete it and throw it in the trash can?
1: Yeah unfortunately I mostly just delete the old stuff. I do have a couple outtakes Uh, like I I have this one I think I mentioned it in episode 100 that I was going to release it and uh, now it's episode 200 and I still haven't released it but uh, there's this thing where there was this lightning storm going on when uh, John and I were trying to interview Ryan North and it's pretty funny (laughs) so (laughs) Maybe I'll make that available as pre- that's premium content yeah. <laughs> to our biggest to our, to our biggest subscribers. They can hear the lightning storm. I'm sure that they would, you
0: know, people like me, I would love like that super informal, very laxed on editing type content, not necessarily a show, but whatever it is, you know, it's just a little something else for people that, you know, love the show so much that they're willing to. Keep listening through the flubs and stuff.
2: Hmm. Uh, I was going to say, I always imagine that Dave uh, actually does keep a file of all of my screw ups, like, you know, because there's so <laughs> many that he edits out. And that, so he just got a file, he just copies it, he cuts them and pastes them into this other audio file, and he just has a string of, of all of my, like, um, er, whatever screw-ups that I make and and he's just gonna use it as blackmail material at some point you know and uh, um
1: no John it would take literally millions of years to assemble something like that <laughs> 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 nobody's got that kind of nobody's got that kind of time.
4: another suggestion I, I would make uh, maybe you you interviewed Cecil Baldwin mm-hmm uh, maybe you could have other people doing podcasts like i was thinking of aaron minky obviously uh considering the the genre uh there is also the ones who make the black tapes and the, the, there are a couple of people who make very interesting podcasts in the genre that mm-hmm. you might also
1: yeah that's a really good i thought about that yeah but yeah like aaron minky and um uh what was there was another one I, um I can't remember, but, uh, you know, I, I had in mind to, like, maybe interview people who do Dungeons & Dragons podcasts, you know, where you actually play Dungeons & Dragons and they record it and stuff like that. But, yeah, I, I do. I would like to talk to more podcasters because I think I, I, I really enjoy podcasts and I think there would be a good crossover promotion kind of opportunity. Yep. So, yeah, maybe I'll, I'll give more thought to that.
4: There's also the people who make Town, which was not an interesting... And, uh, well, you had Cecil Baldwin, but maybe it would be interesting to have the people behind the scene at uh, Welcome to Night Vale. guess they're a little bit like stars at this moment.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, and they just wrote a book. Yeah. I mean, actually, that was one of the, I mean, that was on our list. I mean, obviously, there's like, you know, we there's like so many things that we want to do that we just can't fit into the schedule. But, um, yeah, I would, I would love to
4: talk to them at some point. They also started another uh, second podcast called Alice is Not Dead.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I haven't had a chance to listen to it. Have you listened to it? I've
4: started listening to the first episode, and I found it difficult to to bear. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I couldn't stand it, really. Not the first episode. <laughs> Too much noise in my ears. I mean, the, the it was brilliantly edited, but uh, for me, very difficult to listen to. Mm.
1: I'll have to I'll have to talk to them about that. Then I'll be like, "So my <laughs> listener Bruno on <laughs> Cure, he says it's just like he couldn't even stand it." <laughs> <laughs> like, what do you What do you think about that?
4: Please answer. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, make make sure you uh, when you post the link to this episode on Twitter, you tag them just so that they sure all <laughs> you know, some great stuff about this episode in there.
0: <laughs> there was a that reminds me of a question that I had been wanting to ask you. I don't know if we are almost out of time, but um, do you? You're an outspoken atheist. Do you ever find that you have to censor yourself, uh, like? just per the audience or um, just because you might want to enter someone interview someone in the future or partner with someone uh,
1: not real I mean like I, I try not to get I mean obviously I have some of my political opinions and stuff on the show I try not to go like too crazy with that just because I want the focus to be on geek stuff and science fiction and things but I don't I wouldn't say I censor myself particularly. Um, I was actually just interviewed on this podcast called secular stories where it's, uh, you know, they interview atheists and we talk a lot about politics. So if you want more of my unfiltered <laughs> political opinions, you could go check that out. Um, but no, I, I wouldn't say I ever really worry about getting people in the future or anything. I, I, I don't care that
2: much. Well, I mean, given the number of episodes we've actually done, uh, you know, with deep criticisms of various biblical movies and things like that, like, I ah, I think he's, I think he's probably fine. airing that, uh, airing that laundry out there. That you know, atheism, whatever.
1: But um... yeah, well, and, and it's and it's funny too because I mean, yeah, like sometimes when we do those um, when we review the biblical movies or something, I mean, maybe like two people will, um, you know, um, be unhappy mm-hmm. about that. But then, like when I said I didn't like Force Awakens, oh my, God, <laughs> like 50, fifty people. Yeah. So yeah, no. I, I'm 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 way more I'm way more afraid of the of the Star Wars fundamentalists <laughs> than, than anyone else. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, Dave, you got some flack for that one. On,
4: uh... <laughs> but you got my support.
1: <laughs> okay. Oh, thank you, thank you. Um. All right. Cool. So I think so. We'll wrap things up there. Uh, so we've been speaking with Zach Chapman, Nicolette Stewart, and Bruno Anquier, and of course, John Joseph Adams is here. So, guys, thank you so much for joining us.
4: Thank you for having us.
1: Thanks. Bye. Always good to be here. And that concludes episode 200 of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. Big thanks again to Zach Chapman, Nicolette Stewart, and Bruno Onkir for joining us. And big thanks as well to everyone out there in podcast land for listening. We definitely couldn't have made it through 200 episodes without the support of everyone who's downloaded our shows, posted reviews on iTunes, written us fan mail, supported us through Patreon and PayPal, bought stuff from our sponsors, and just generally spread the word about Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. We really, really appreciate all of it. So, as always, thanks everyone for listening, and we'll see you next time.
2: The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is a production of Wired.com. For more information about the show, visit
0: GeeksGuideShow.com. To learn more about your host, visit DavidBarrCurtley.com. Music and voiceover produced by yours truly, Jack Kincaid. If you enjoyed this program, tell your friends.